Um, the reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. Unity and diversity in the body. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is in Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part must suffer with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen. Thank you, Avril. I'm just going to read two other verses from Mark's Gospel. So Mark 12, and this is Jesus in great commandment. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let me pray and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we... We love you. We thank you for your love for us. And Lord, right now, would you remind us of your love? And by your spirit, would you speak through these words to our hearts, our minds, that we wouldn't be the same? That we've encountered you in this place. And Lord, that we would be carriers of something that is of you, that this world desperately needs. So, Lord, we say that we're open. We open our minds, our hearts to you and say, come, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Amen. Well, it's so good to see you. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Will. Joy to be with you today. Today, I want to give us a rallying call. I want to call us to all hands on deck in a mission in reaching young people this year. All hands on deck in reaching the young people in 2024. The call, the boatswain call, all hands on deck, is never called like in a normal time by a ship's captain. It's not called when the weather seems to be fine, but it's called at particular moments at particular times. It's called when there's times of crisis and it calls people to attention. So on a ship crew, there'd be three different crews and they'd be divided up into times of a day. And they operate in these crews back to back in four hour slots. And so when one person's on deck, one crew, another crew's either sleeping and the final crew is eating. And then it rotates and rotates throughout the day and the hours to ensure the boat functions well. But then at particular times of times of crisis, the captain would shout, all hands on deck. And it would resound throughout the whole boat and call people to attention. And for those who are sleeping, it was a call to wake up. Those who are eating and playing games and saying, stop getting, being distracted, come up and help. It was a time of urgency that it would be called. And it would also be called not just times of crisis, but a time of opportunity. When the wind was blowing in just a particular way, when they really needed to like latch on to what the, the, the wind of the Spirit was doing, the call was all hands on deck. Let's get the sails up. We need to be get going in the right direction. And so for us, I feel like it's a time, not just one or the other, a crisis or opportunity, but of twofold crisis and opportunity. If anyone can read Chinese, you know more than me. But I'm told that as when Chinese characters are written, this word here, this phrase actually means both crisis and opportunity. That actually in the same breath, in the same phrase, we see both potentials, crisis and opportunity. And the reason I'm saying that is there is a crisis amongst our young people. I don't know if you know the stats on young people and faith in the UK at the moment. 95% of young people under 18s don't go to church. Far less call Jesus their Lord. An unreached people group in the world, and there's places around the world, remote tribes and places like Japan and inner city Tokyo, are classed as unreached people groups if less than 2% are Christians. It means that there has to be outside help to go in to evangelise. And what is crazy is now we're in a particular crisis in the UK that our young people could officially be classed as nearly as an unreached people group. That is worrying. That means there's 12 million under 18s in this country who don't, would never come to a place like this. That means there's 6,650 under 18s in Leatherhead who don't get a chance to hear about it. I don't know about you, that breaks my heart. But there's also an opportunity. There is an opportunity now in 2024, like never before, to turn the tide around. There is an openness and a spiritual hunger that hasn't been quashed by religion and by duty and people forcing something on people. But there is a hunger and openness in an asking of questions like, is there more to life than this? We've seen that in our young people. When we arrived here and there's um, 
over a thousand years of history in the church. But the second week, first week we had a few more kids. Second week, there's four kids. Johnny and then Tom three. And um, Tom's obviously added to that. We're still trying on that. You can pray for that. But um, since then, we have seen the church grow amongst the young people. What I've been really excited to see where it's growing and who it's growing with. It's growing with people who've never heard of Jesus before. We're seeing young people who've never come to church, come along, hear the gospel and be like, I am in. And then they go out and share it. And around the world, there's this like stirrings amongst the young people of a hunger like never before. So we're in this twofold time of crisis and opportunity. So here I'm saying today, all hands on deck. And let's see what the Lord wants to do in this year. Our vision here as a church is simple. It's to love God, love people, and make disciples. The heart of our vision, the heart of our vision is to love God. In that gospel reading I read, it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Here at the church, we long for LPC to be a place where people grow in their love for God for everyone to passionately pursue his presence in worship, in prayer, in the word, to grow in what it looks like to delight in him, to find our hope, our all in him. You know, the heart of our vision to love God isn't just words. We long that it be written in everything and of who we are. It's the cornerstone principle of, and it's the very bedrock upon the entire fabric of this church and how we must operate. You know, it's not a casual suggestion to love God. But it's a fervent call to action. And for us to reflect and say, are we continuously going after God's love? Are we going after Him in our adoration, what we're thinking on, what we're looking at, in how we act and how we live? Are we pursuing God? Because in that verse, there's nothing passive in it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's a choice. I long that we'd never be lukewarm in any way, but we'd be fervent in our passion for the Lord, that we'd unlock our hearts, our minds, the things which we hide away, unlock everything to Him. And almost there's vulnerability in that. But you can trust God is a good God and He longs to meet with us. And this pursuit isn't like an obligation or a duty response. It is a heartful response to what he's done for us. If you want to grow in God's love, spend time hearing about God's love for you. And the, the, the distance, what he was willing to go to you on the cross to win you. Why? Because he loves you. And when we ingest and we receive that love, we can't do anything else but like praise. And love him back. The heart of our vision is to love God. It's Jesus' command. Jesus, the head of the church, is not me, so Tom, Megan, is not the Archbishop of Canterbury. Jesus is. And therefore, we want him to be front and center in everything. In the, God, in the passage Avril read so beautifully for us, Jesus is the head of the church. We're the body. It's all about him. He directs us, he shows us where to go. And so the goal unequivocally and unapologetically is Jesus. The first week here when I was here, and people have been so gracious to us, especially those who've been worshipping here in the church for so long. 
But when I spoke, the first person who spoke to me afterwards said, are you going to talk about Jesus every week? And I was like, yes. And it's been so exciting to see everyone grow in this hunger for the Lord, to grow in with Jesus. Jesus is the head. Verse 12 in our reading says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts together make one body, so it is with Christ that he is the head of everything. He is our focus. If we're honest, we can love ourselves with our heart. We can love things with our minds. We can allow other people to be the love of our soul and our strength we find from our reputation and our pride, not from him. Our passage describes the church as a body. This passage is so rooted in who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is, that it's ultimately not about us, but we get to partner in it. It's so cool. That God is in charge, and that every endeavour, every pursuit has to be overflown out of love for Him. Otherwise, we might as well go and play golf on a Sunday, or something else. The heart of our vision is to love God. It's a call of a transformation, intimate relationship with Him. To know him personally, not to know, I love Tony who shared his story last week, learning not to know about God, but to know God. That's what it is to love God. So what's your love for the Lord like? How do you long to grow in love for him this year? If you fast forward to December 31st, 2024, when you look back, what would it look like for you to grow in love for him? How does your mind need to be renewed in him? Where do you need to find strength for? Daily in him. Because as a church, we want to, everything we do, our heart, our vision is to love God. Secondly, the core of our community is to love people. How do we operate out as a church? Well, we operate out of love. Second great command is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. In the very fabric of our community, the way we operate is one out of love. It's the driving force of everything we do. It's not sentimental. It's a deliberate, intentional way of being, acting and living. That our relationships wouldn't be just a transactional, hey, how are you doing? How's your week? But it is an intentional way of wanting, I want to speak into your heart to encourage you in who the Lord is, to push you on in the Lord, to see how God's called the other and to say, I love you. That looks past his offences and say, I'm going to bear with you when it's hard. But I'm going to push you on in the love of the Lord because God loves you and has made you for a purpose. In our passage in 1 Corinthians, do dig it out, 1153. Paul talks about the dangers of what can rob a church of that unity and of love. And he spoke of two in particular, one which says that I'm not good enough, which is a danger of victimhood. And the second is a danger of pride. I'm too good. Now, if a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of a body. Or for ear, because I'm not an eye, therefore I'm not part of a body. There's a danger we can look around such a talented room and group of people with so many gifts and go, yeah, that's not me. And what happens to the body when that happens? 
You're needed in the body. So what happens is that area gets limp in the body and just becomes a bit useless in that way. It's part of a body, but it's not pulling its weight. Other parts of the body have to maybe have to pull a bit harder, but we're not doing what we're called to do. The second danger is the danger of pride. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. The danger we can look around and we can see other people and go, it's great that they can do that, but I'm a bit busy. You know, I do this in my working life or I actually hold quite a lot of responsibility. I'm too, I'm too good to serve coffee or actually I prefer to speak in here rather than to the kids and young people. And, you know, you get noticed here. And actually, so some other people can do the kids and youth, but no, that's not me. I'm too good for that. The danger as we be a community is that we, we bear either to victimhood or to pride. But when you see that you're needed, that you're made and God has placed you in this particular body, you realise, I'm needed and I need to step into this. Because without it, the body suffers. And when the body suffers, we all suffer. And this danger of pride and victimhood can outwork in like corrosive behaviour in different ways. I know it can do to me. It can be into gossip. It can be in belittling. It can be in looking down on the other. It can look in division in groups like we're an inner group. That's a little group. We're a little body. That's a body. No, we're a body together here, but in a wider body of a church globally. Each of you are needed. Each of you have been divinely appointed in Leatherhead 2024 to be in here at a particular time to play your part in the vision of the church and what he longs to do. It says in verse 18, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. When we realise that it's God who's placed people in particular places with a diversity of gifts, we don't want everyone to be an ear or a hand. No, each of us are needed in our different and variety of gifts and talents he's given us. But we're each called to play our part in using them. But why? Because you're uniquely made. You're irreplaceable and you're so needed here. You know, we have the same goal, but we have a unique gifting in how we do it. So each of us is valuable and there is a diversity of gifts here and roles and we want to see that grow and more and more people step into the calling God's got for you. Why would that be? So that there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have equal concern for each other. If one part is honoured, the entire part is honoured. As a church, we long to be a place where we honour one another, we celebrate one another, we celebrate what God is doing. And you might be in the worship team, you're like, oh, this is amazing, but I love what's going on in the kids' church. And if you're in kids' church, you're like, I love what's going in in the welcome and hospitality team. Aren't they so good at welcoming us? They welcomed me like I've never been here before and I've been so loved. Or it might be the visitors who visit the sick and pray with them who are celebrating the worship team like, wow, you really brought us into God's presence. Thank you. We want to be a place which honours and celebrates the other. And the only place you can do that is actually by being on team. So often we can look on and we can professionalise church and we never want to do that. We never want people at the front to do church for us and us watch and go, oh, that was really good. I like that worship song. I didn't like that one, but you know, we'll sort of wander away. It's not about us, it's about him. And we play our part in being involved in teams and groups. And so the call is for everyone to be involved in a team. 
There's some people here who serve in every team and you're amazing. But we would long to release the load that you're not going to get burnt out by being on team every Sunday in every team. And there's some of us here who go, oh, I could probably be involved as well. I don't want to just watch. I want to, I want to play. I want to play. And so the call is for everyone to be on a team, but to serve once a month. If all of us serve once a month, it would enable the others not to serve four or five Sundays in a month. We have 90 people who serve on Sunday teams. And we've got teams throughout the week. And each of them are so needed. But sometimes we look down the list and we're like, that's the same people. And thank you if you're doing that. But how about all of us join in as well? Because teams are places that you can know what it is to love people. Where you can be authentic in who you are, but you can grow in the gifting God has called you to do. It means you step up into the family. You're not going to a professional like restaurant where someone serves food. You can critique and go away. No, you're a family meal. And each of us are needed. At the moment, we have 90 who serve on team. We need 20 more, 21 more team in our kids and youth church, which is growing so quickly. 21 people doesn't mean you have to be a teacher and to teach them. We need some people to set up. We need some people who can pray. We need some who can be a body in the room and to like love some of these children. Others we need, you've got a gifting and teaching. We need you to step up. But 21 more by Easter, we need to find. Otherwise, we're going to have more and more kids in the church in here. And there's the groups which are getting bigger. There's one group which got 18 kids in at the moment. We need to divide it, but we can't until we have a team. Pray about it. Maybe the Lord's calling you. Maybe he's calling your neighbour and you can nudge them now. What does it look like to be on that team together? All hands on deck and loving people. The core of our community is to love people. It challenges us and rejects the pitfalls of victimhood. The divisive behaviour of pride. But it calls us to an active embodiment of being part of the family together. And lastly, the mission we share is to make disciples. The mission we share is to make disciples. Beyond the foundational calls to love people and to love God, Jesus' command to the church when he left was, go make disciples. It's for the disciples, but it's also for us who followed him in 2024. Making disciples looks like going out, not just expecting people to turn up. It involves marking them like we did last week in baptising three and then it became five people. It looks like maturing them in groups and encouraging them in their walks with the Lord. You know, we don't want to just make converts. We don't want people just to turn up on a Sunday like, oh yeah. But we long to make disciples of Jesus who really love him with all their heart, mind, soul and strength and love their neighbour as themselves. And as we navigate that mission together, we're having a particular focus on young people this year, the rising generation. It's a recognition they're not just the future, they are the church. That actually this church has gone for a thousand years. Why? Because they passed it on to the next generation, next generation, next generation. We have an obligation, a command to make disciples, to love them. You know, 2024 is not an easy place to be as a young person. From social media influence, crisis of purpose, the impact of the pandemic, the erosion of identity, discovering what it is to be a young person, who God's called you to be is tough. And especially even harder if you don't have those voices around to encourage you in it. We have to be all hands on deck on young people in 2024. There's this crisis, but there is this opportunity like never before. And there's a hunger there amongst the young people. 
one of these young people, um, I'm just going to see a little video in a second. One of these young people um, had never been in church uh, a year ago or 14 months ago now. Um, gave her life to the Lord in early 2023. Got baptised in September. And so passionate about um, reaching people in her generation that she went out after church last week. And so can we take a look at this as she went around interviewing some people and hearing what their thoughts were on life and understanding of Jesus. Take a look at the screens. We are going to be going into town and asking people questions about life. How many people are in heaven? Why? What am I going to do in the future? What happens after you die? Wait, can I think about this? <laughs> this might take a minute. Is there more things? Is there further than heaven? Does he always forgive? And do we always go to heaven? Mm, nothing. Just figure it out. Why is there hate in the world? What you would do to like forgive people because like you, you always like you can always like forgive everyone no matter like what they've done but like I just want to know like why you do it what my future will hold if you have any questions like this check out Youth Alpha 28 for January 2024 I don't know about you I'm so excited about that <laughs> they went out and they asked them if you could ask God one question what would you ask none of the youth went back and go can I have a Ferrari what should I do they ask about forgiveness about life, but how can I be forgiven? What about heaven? It's amazing for questions they're asking. And tonight, we get to relaunch something. Um, 1874, this church had this vision to reach the north of the town, to reach those who worked on the railways and the young people. And so they planted a church in a, in a disused engine shed. And then over a few years, it developed into All Saints. And All Saints for 100, sort of nearly 150 years has had a, a mission to young people and to those who work in the town. And for the last 20 years, there's been no active worship there, but there's been an amazing charity called LYP, which this church helped to create. LYP is going to carry on doing amazing work amongst young people in really practical ways. But we're really excited that 150 years later after that first vision of reaching them, we're reopening it. And we're reopening it tonight. And you've got a sign saying faith outside the church. Um, Alpha Youth has got 36 sign-ups already. Um, we know young people just turn up as well. 36 young people up for exploring. Putting that in context of the stats, um, if you have three children or under 18s in your church, in the Church of England church, you're in the top 50% of Church of England churches in the country. If you're 34, you're in the top 5%. And so thankfully we're in that on Sunday mornings. But with that on Sunday evenings, we haven't even started. And that's really exciting. But I'm like, there's still so many more to reach. And so we get to launch this on Sundays at 5pm, a chance for people to explore the big questions of life, these young people. We need two more female leaders. So if you're in them here and you're like, I could do that. Can you talk to myself or Tristan? It's like, we need you for tonight at five o'clock. So pray about it. But we need some people to step in. We're having more kids sign up. And so we need to respond. We've seen things like in schools, openings at schools, um, whether it be at Trinity School, we're trying to launch something called Quest. It's a simple five-week journey of faith for the um, Leatherhead Trinity School. And it's going to be run every half term. And the idea is that over seven years, we're going to do the whole school, um, go through this. Five weeks to explore Jesus. And um, it's just an hour, hour once a week for five weeks. And so Tristan needs two people uh, for next term to do that. So if that's you, please get involved. Our play cafe here on a Monday is a sort of a practical way of loving the mums and dads in the area with those little kids. 
is not we're putting on a play group. No, we're intentional space where we get to pray with the mums and dads and introduce them to Jesus. And the kids can have a great time too. So this year, we're not, we're going to try and strip back some of the stuff we're doing in some respects. But we're really just going after the young people. And you might be here and be like, I'm not a young person. And I'm not either, although I try and wear Crocs and try and be one of them. But we, um, we're going after them. And so we need you to serve, to pray, to encourage. Um, growing up, I um, had five people who spoke into my life in particular. Uh, Fuller's research says there's five adults are needed to help raise a child in faith outside the parental home. And these were my five. And so there's a guy called Matt who's in the top left. Matt is an amazing drummer at the BSO. He doesn't work for the church, but he's a great preacher. And after my first talk, he spoke into my life, encouraged me in it, gave me some tips, but walked alongside with me. Um, in the middle, Charlotte was my um, German teacher um, at school. And some people here actually know her. And Charlotte uh, spoke and I saw what it was to live a life of faith in the workplace firsthand as a young person watching her. And actually, when our youth pastor um, moved on to a different role, she stepped into that role, covering it for a season. I'm so grateful for her. Um, the next person is Dave Ross. Dave was uh, just a few years older than me. Dave was passionate about Jesus, trained as a nurse and went out on missions into like really out there, like when Ebola was going on, he'd be there. And what I saw with Dave was just a fearlessness about following the Lord. But he was just a few years older. He didn't work for the church, but he was just after the young people to encourage them. And so once a week, he served in the youth group, just loving us. Ben Griffiths, bottom left, was my youth pastor who intentionally discipled us. So once a week, I met up with him and four other guys on top of our youth. He read the Bible with us and just encouraged us in our faith. And then the last one was my tutor, Colin Kilpatrick at school. Mr. Kilpatrick was a great teacher, but for six years, he was my tutor. But when I came to faith during that time and got confirmed, he gave me a book called Wild at Heart. And encourage me to never be sort of keep God safe in that way, to allow God to blow my mind about how he's big and his magnitude. And so these people, for a season, just sowed into me. They prayed, they were intentional in loving me. And I wonder for you, who did that for you? Who were the people who encouraged you? Who were the people who got inside you, who taught you what it was to follow Jesus? And then... For some of us, we might have had that. But you could think, oh, that would have been nice. I'd have loved that. <laughs> but there's 40 or so under 18s across the road at the moment. There's 36 who are going to be there tonight. There's countless of those young people who need you, who need you to speak into them. So can you commit to praying for them? Could you try and find one person you could get alongside? The other week, we had a hospitality Sunday where people went to different places for lunch. And some of the youth went to Linda's house. And um, at Linda's house, there's a variety of ages there. But Headley taught one of them what it was to play the guitar. Someone gave her a guitar from after that. I'm so excited because that person, the message talking about how much loved it. And for each of us, we want to be people who speak in life into these young people. So find one of them, get alongside them, encourage them. Don't think, oh, they're just at the back hiding away. No, love them. Encourage them in who God's called them to be. So as a church, we're all hands on deck in 2024. All hands on deck into loving God. All hands on deck in loving people. All hands on deck in making disciples of this rising generation. And do you know what? This gospel we hold is the best news in the world. 
is a news that transcends and says death doesn't have to be the end. You can know life in all its fullness in Jesus Christ, that he's made you for a purpose. And we've received that. We want them to receive that. And do you know what? This church and the churches in this town are unstoppable if we're united in who the Lord is. He's done it over countless generations. The church globally is growing at 6%. We might think the church in England is declining. It is. But around the world, it is increasing so fast. China could be declared a Christian country in six years by the number of Christians there. And we long that Leatherhead would be known for that as well. In Jesus' name. Amen.